Hello and welcome to another episode of the Data Revolution podcast. This time my guest is Mark Nichols, who is the Consulting Partner and Chief Executive for the Information Professionals Group. Hi, Mark. Hi, how are you? It's really great to have you join me. And can you tell me a bit about what you do? Hi, Kate. Yeah, well, our company uh, does a range of things, which is all helping digital leaders, or I should say business leaders, actually leverage digital technology in the best way that they can. And so it covers a range of things like uh, development of good strategy, yeah, how they make decisions around technology, how they decide whether or not something's a good investment, uh, you know, with what business purpose are they trying to apply technology, and then how to deliver a business outcome with technology, which, of course, includes the technology elements, but often includes other things around the outside of that. Uh, some people might call them more central, which would be, you know, business process design, you know, data, organisational change, and then good project delivery practices. Uh, and then we also cover the risk and cyber elements of protecting people's presence so that they are using digital technology, but they're using digital technology in a way which doesn't undermine their business because of poor, uh, poor cyber practices. So that's kind of what we do, and that's what I do. I uh, talk to a lot of clients. So I lead a lot of our engagements. Plus, I've got a, a great team of diverse expertise that we work with. That that sounds like a, a full dance card for you. So <laughs> one, one of the things I was thinking that we could have a bit of a chat about is, and this is very hypothetical because it's super early days, but how is AI changing the landscape for for your work and the way you're thinking about stuff? Yeah, so it's probably fair to say it's still quite early days, you know, very early days. Obviously, there's a lot of interest around AI, but that interest level, you know, we've seen in various other types of technology you know, over you know, some decades, every time something is new and it is hyped um, and there's a lot of excitement, you know, there's always a lot of interest, AI is probably next level, right, because of the potential it has. But having said that, it's still yeah, a bit of tire kicking, a little bit of interest, a lot more curiosity, but um, how are people applying it? Uh, then beyond what individuals are, are doing in you know, generative AI, asking questions, um, then it's not massive levels of adoption. There is uh, AI increasingly being integrated into some off-the-shelf products and so that does make it a little bit easier for deployment in certain organizations but even then it's quite limited and um, and then there is some use of AI where there's either data or content that is actually being leveraged to accelerate some of those questions so for instance you can apply generative AI to specific documents and uh, and get it to interpret those documents or maybe write parts of those documents or refine them. And so there is tools out there that allow you to do that, but uh, I think there's still quite limited take up of those as yet. And yeah. that's a probably a nice little pivot into you know, the organization of documents, the organization of content and data. Uh, and in many cases, you know, customers need to be careful about you know, what they're providing to the AI engine, you know, where that AI engine might actually reside, what sort of content and documents they're providing. Um, so there's a whole data information records, content management questions here to be answered to fuel the AI engines. 
right? And uh, there's a whole element of capability and infrastructure, business infrastructure, technology infrastructure needs to be thought about here. Um, and so when I say it's early days, that's the type of stuff I'm talking about. It's quite early days on thinking well, about how this can work. It, it does strike me that the there, there might be an interesting uh, question for you about what should organisations be doing to get ready for this world of AI that, that's coming up for us to think about their infrastructure and their records and all of that stuff. So what, what are some of the things people should be thinking about? Uh, one of the first things would be use cases. You know, what are the types of scenarios, the types of business problems that AI might be able to solve? And then given that, working backwards from those to go, well, what data and information do we have which actually might be helpful in allowing us to solve that? Uh, do we have that data and information? You know, where is it? How is it organised? Uh, you know, who has ownership of it? Um, what is our ethical boundaries and constraints around what we should and shouldn't be doing with that along the way? How should we be applying this new technology? So, you know, thinking about that life cycle from, you know, data and records and information through to getting some sort of business outcome, you know, what are the steps along the way and what are some of the building blocks we need and the questions we should be asking ourselves? That's, uh, that's really where people should be going right now. So what about some of the, a lot of my IT colleagues are talking about a lot of AI, especially generative AI stuff as kind of shadow IT that's happening off on the side and nobody knows about it. How, yeah. how are some of the ways that you might be able to detect when that's happening? Well, my personal view is, um, yeah, shadow IT definitely, there can be a challenge for, for big organisations. Well, not so big either, where you've got yeah, a lot of, uh, IT, which is being deployed. SaaS uh, was an accelerator to that, of course, because yeah, it allowed business users to start using SaaS applications with their corporate credit card, for instance. And all of a sudden you had you know, little islands of technology popping up across the organization. And, and when those islands of, of technology hold corporate data, or then needs to start integrating uh, into other systems, or maybe that data has some privacy elements to it, then, yeah, there is challenges and shadow IT yeah, can be a real problem. In the generative AI sense, though, that, that tool um, has a pervasiveness to it, which, in fact, you do want everybody to be using it in a productive way. The question is, how do they use it, right? So yeah, if they're actually dropping documents in there which are valuable uh, confidential information that you're holding or maybe on behalf of your clients, that's not such a great thing. If it's just asking questions, then um, that's okay. If it's a, an accelerator an individual employee's productivity and their performance, then you know, there's really not too much wrong with that as long as it's appropriately confidential. But uh, so I, I think shadow IT elements of generative AI do apply to that shadow IT concept, but there's a whole range of outcomes that are going to be beneficial for organizations which shouldn't really be classed as shadow IT it's more a, a new set of tools it's a bit like uh, the tool set that your know, mobile phones has brought us it's brought a whole new capability for individuals to be productive and self-sufficient innovative in their own right same with the internet it's a very pervasive technology 
And generative AI is different from a lot of other technology because it's very pervasive and allows individuals to be more fully empowered. So, I mean, you know, we all, everybody's talking about generative AI. Everywhere I go, they're talking about generative AI. It's not the only thing in AI. Like there's, there's machine learning predictive models and stuff that have been around for a long time. And a lot of people are using them really productively. Um, what are some of the things that you recommend to your clients to look after things like that? And how do you plan for them? Yeah. So, like, firstly, Kate, I probably have to say I'm not really an expert in AI. <laughs> I will have some team members who are much more knowledgeable in this area than, than I am. And, um, and so those more sophisticated use of AI, yeah, definitely they fit within the enterprise IT area as opposed to, you know, helping out. Um, I mean, the usage of them might be out there, but you, you do want some form of your more governed control. Um, doesn't mean centralised, but um, governed control over the way some of those tools are used. And so there can be some organisational decision-making around, you know, what's used, how they're used, with what purpose. And, um, and to some degree, you want that with generative AI as well, uh, but it's a much lighter touch governance for, uh, for generative AI. So um, yeah, in terms of categorizing all the different types of AI, yeah, it's probably not something I can talk too much about. Oh, no, no, I just, just was thinking about that. But one, one thing that you've mentioned a couple of times is, is like the business decision-making process and the strategy process. Well, what sort yeah. of things do you actually... Um, recommend to your customers in in that way about how they might need to evolve their decision making. Oh, completely. Yeah. So, yeah, governance for some is a bit of a dirty word. You know, it's like oh, you know, constraints. You know, you're getting roadblocks in the way of us getting work done. Um, and to some degree, that's true. But if without governance, it becomes a, a very messy technology landscape that gets created. And, and we know because we've seen customers like that that have had very little governance. And so decision-making gets made you know, in quite a fragmented way across the organisation. And then the technology stack and all of their technology-related practices, which includes you know, business process design and data management and so on, they're all fragmented as well. Now, if you've got an incredibly fragmented environment, it's very hard to do a lot of things very usefully because you'll have the same data residing in multiple places. Nobody will know what the source of truth is. You know, the, um, the, the quality of the data isn't well understood. Um, it's never fixed at source because nobody knows who's responsible for it. Uh, and, um, and the processes aren't connected to end-to-end, -end, so there's a lot of manual process often. So there's a whole range of issues that get created um, in the technology stack and the business systems if you don't have a coordinated way to make decisions. And, uh, and so, yeah, governance is a way of actually defining what those rules are across the organisation. How do we make decisions? It doesn't mean that you can't make a choice on your own as an executive of one department but there might be certain decisions that you can't make departmental decisions on or team decisions on. There might be some you can. Uh, there might be some that you can make some decisions on, but you need to consult with another group, perhaps an architectural reference group of some kind to do so. And there might be some standards you've got to follow. So there's different ways of structuring governance, but 
it's all with the same objective, which is actually having some coordinated approach to the way an organization works. So it's not, you know, every man for themselves. And, yeah, um, I've been in places about... where it's been like that. <laughs> yeah, correct. And it's very hard to work, isn't it? Because um, yeah. and it's very hard to actually generate some business outcomes. And, uh, and, and often, Kate, you know, we, if we go into a, um, a new client and, you know, we see a very fragmented technology environment that isn't very connected and, um, you know, lack of integration, and, uh, you know, multiple sources of truth. Um, then often the root cause comes back to some historical governance challenges that they've had, or maybe just lack of governance. Yeah, a lot of, a lot of times it's just the organisation grows up around yeah. it without thinking about these things. One thing yeah. that that does strike me that more organisations are going to need to be doing in, in the future is looking at their third-party risk as they use more SaaS applications and stuff. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, look, for some organisations, particularly organisations with um, big supply communities and, um, of course, retailers would be in that, you know, some manufacturers, uh, then, you know, they have a lot of suppliers. And and so, your yeah, supplier risk and third-party third risk in that context, um, depending on where they are in the value chain or supply chain, then they could have downstream, you know, customers as well that they might interact with digitally and exchange data with and and so yeah that third party risk is is massive it's also the one from a cybersecurity perspective that it's probably been a, a little bit of a laggard it's probably one of the highest risks but um, you know not every organization is actually dealing with that some are and um, so you know, there's definitely some CISOs who are aware of it and some organizations that are educating their boards and executive team that they need to address it. But um, but it's been probably one of the slower um, adoption of good practice. And Are you, are um, you starting to see a shift in the board directors taking a different attitude to risk and data in, in, in recent times? Definitely. Yeah, definitely. It, it varies a lot, um, as would be the nature of us humans. Yeah, some are very advanced on thinking about yeah, cyber risk. Well, let's call it business risk firstly, because that's what cyber risk is. Uh, and then how that links into data management practices, um, how that links into you know, supplier practices and supplier risk, how it links across the organisation. Yeah, there's various levels of appreciation, motivation, interest. Uh, but it's all moving in the right direction, has been, as as has been technology knowledge as well. If we go back, you know, five to 10 years ago, then uh, even technology and digital transformation type knowledge at the board level was a little bit scant mm. for many organisations. Um, so they're coming a long way. And, um, you know, a few years ago, we did track um, on the uh, Australian Institute of Company Directors. They have a, an annual briefing and, uh, and they used to put out a booklet. Uh, they now don't put out a booklet. They just do a video presentation and you can watch the video or you can watch it live. Uh, but when they put the book out, we actually kept the metrics on how many pages of their briefing used to cover digital topics. <laughs> and <laughs> over the course of you know, about five or six years, it went from being you know, next to nothing um, to... Uh, ramping up to you know being say 20 30 percent of that 
booklet. Um, so it dramatically shifted. Uh, and so it was a useful metric to look at to see the extent to which the peak body for directors is actually taking um, digital topics seriously. And cyber has followed suit with that. They've, um, they've been very strong at promoting that. Again, it doesn't mean that every director listens and is, uh, takes aware of it, but there is every opportunity for directors to be more educated now than they were five years ago. I, th I think it's really interesting what you what you've said because you've kind of touched on all of the points in sort of the IT value chain, and um, one one thing we haven't really touched on is is the testing of stuff. I have. And that that seems to me to be something that's starting to evolve a bit too. Yeah. Yeah. So I will have one of my team um, in particular who is, yeah, very very uh, passionate uh, about you know the whole concept of Dev DevSecOps and mm -hmm. um, and so when it comes to custom software development in particular, um, then being able to yeah integrate you know security testing protocols and. Uh, you know, secure by design approach into the software development lifecycle. Uh, but I would say, you know, based on what I've seen and what we've seen, we probably still see a very slow um, take up in that. Um, oh, yeah. Yeah, so very slow. slow. <laughs> yeah. Like, like we're, we're talking about it at work now, you know, we're, we're talking about privacy by design, security by design, but, you know, it, I've been trying to have those conversations for for a decade, and only mm. now are people starting to say maybe we should do that. Yeah, done well, it. I would argue Kate, that even automated testing, automated regression testing, yeah, has had a very slow take up over over the last sort of decade or two, right? Um, so there's been you know, tool sets in there which can allow automatic regression testing. But look, even with our clients and particular clients that we're running you know, major transformation programs for. Um, it's they've got a massive investment they're doing in in the transformation agenda they're pursuing in the technology to support that and and then automated testing tool sets do take another investment and they do have a payback period but it's an investment in the payback period on top of an existing investment and in payback period and it can be very challenging for them to justify it so um, that's where i've seen the difficulty for clients now, yeah, I think DevSecOps it brings a different proposition um, to it, particularly if you're doing custom software development. And, uh, and so you're really standing up an ongoing capability, which is going to be developing for some time. So there, I think there is a much stronger argument to deploying that. But um, yeah, as you say, we're still seeing very limited take up. I, I think even in developers, I mean, if we talk about digital transformation for a little bit, Kate, I mean, one of the big challenges in digital transformation, which you know, can be effectively dealt with, is the organizational change aspect. And oh, yeah. you know, we're not and we're not talking here about, you know, obviously communication and making people feel good about, you know, that change is, is an important thing, but just as important is, well, what's materially going to change in my day-to-day -day job and how do people need to be getting ready for that? Um, obviously, training is a part of it, but just accepting the fact that it needs to change, why it needs to change, and, and just changing and the process. Like, correct, many an yeah. ERP implementation is founded on lack of process redesign. Yeah, correct, and uh, or, or the or the acceptance of business users that yeah, this is a good process, and yeah, you'll need to some combination of 
you'll need to follow it compliance uh, using the stick and um, and this is a better way of us working because you'll get these benefits and and the carrot and um, so but it is a big challenge now if you look at their DevSecOps, well you know senior developers um, development leads technical leads um, yeah they can get a bit fixed in their ways and so <laughs> and if they've grown up over under a more traditional you know waterfall development or even devops environment then um yeah, how ready are they for DevSecOps? I think that's a not not very. Would be my, yeah. my guess. <laughs> I've met. So there's a change process here, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. But somebody it's, needs to take them through. Yeah, it does sound like there's a lot of there's one of the interesting things in this conversation is there's been so many moving parts that we've kind of touched on that people oh. need to to take account of. Is there one thing that you want to tell people to sum up? <laughs> well, I think that's a true of this industry. It is always evolving. Yeah, there is always new techniques coming along. There's always new tool sets. Uh, there's always new business problems to be solved and business outcomes to be generated. So um, yeah, it's a it's an industry, and even an industry, but yeah, that section or that capability within your organisation, it's a capability that needs to be evolving. It's never going to be standing still. And, and so even that concept of you know, doing a project, and, uh, and so there is a view when you're making a major project implementation, people get to the end of a major transformation and they think, oh, it's all done. Well, our view is when you get to the end of a transformation, that's the start of the journey with this new capability that you've stood up. And so you need to be thinking about what the life cycle of that project looks like to get ready for that new capability and how to leverage from that capability. And, and it, it's really a, a, like a fractal-based view of what the, that larger industry view of, you know, the capability needs to be there, needs to be getting built and evolved continuously because your, your needs will change uh, but the one thing that will always be the same is you want to be running a successful business and uh, and you want to be keeping your customers happy. You know, they're getting more digitally savvy. They're getting more expectations. And um, you, know, you want to be attracting staff. They've got um, uh, emerging views about what they need to be happy in their jobs. Um, your IT staff want to be working with you know, modern techniques and systems as well. And so your whole context and environment is shifting. And so your capability set needs to be shifting. And so I think uh, that that's that's a great summary. Never stand still. You can't stand still, yeah. And, and look, this is a danger for you know some some government departments, but also Most at times some companies of of actually just completely eroding capability, where yeah. they're um, you know short term cost saving, um, which understandable. We we all have priorities in terms of costs, but. Um, but when we're eroding capability and then we want to then deal with the challenges we've got from a technology point of view, that take, that capability doesn't get switched back on at a moment's notice. No, no, it no. It's a very long ramp rebuild. Yeah. yeah. And all that capability, as you know, Kate, is actually unique to that organisation, particularly how does this business processes work? Why are we doing this this way? What is the data that we've got? Where does that reside? And why is it stored this way? Right, all that type of knowledge is all resident within organisations and, and they know how to make the improvements. And if you start um, 
slicing away into that capability, it can be a very difficult to then rebuild. Yeah, and that that is a very good spot to end. Thank you so much, Mark. All right. Thanks, Kate. And that is it for another episode of the Data Revolution podcast. I'm Kate Crothers. Thank you so much for listening. Please don't forget to give the show a nice review and a like on your podcast app of choice. See you next time.